This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. Two identical athletes take on a training program. The first does mostly easy training with some high-intensity work, and the other does mostly easy but with threshold training and very little high-intensity. Who would come out on top? That is the answer we're going to find out today. The two examples provided are polarized versus pyramidal training models, and there's a huge debate about which one you should be doing. So we're going to help you figure out what the hell they actually mean, which model applies to you, and how to adjust your training accordingly. And lastly, we're going to look at what the science says around which one creates a faster result on race day. So Dad, welcome back to another episode. Let's start with our normal first segment, what are you grateful for? Good topic, George. Well done. Um, my gratitude is absolutely for this year being an Olympic year and I can't wait every four years and well, during COVID it was sort of a bit a bit skewed with three years and a, um, and a fourth year. So we've got the Paris Olympics this year and uh, for most of the sports, this is the pinnacle of every athlete who's vying for a place to represent their country at the Olympics and that in itself is an incredible achievement to be selected to go to the Olympics for your country. And then those who have got ambitions of winning gold or getting on the podium, it's just the best year because everybody wants to be at their peak and they could possibly have waited four years for this. And this could be the only chance they get in their whole career to go to the Olympics. And, um, you know, there's a very, very few percentage of the population actually are are at this level. And um, I just love every sport because almost everybody who should be, aiming for the Olympics should be coming into this year in the form of their life. So, so most of the sports get great um, competition and, and I can't wait for, you know, when people start um, qualifying and, and uh, going to races that are going to allow them to qualify and to see what happens. Um, And then the Olympics themselves, that's actually, you know, the most fun. I I just love this year. I, I love the preparation of getting there. Um, the, the trials have to be selected and then the actual races. It's it's brilliant. Totally agree. It's so fun to see all the, the meetups, especially the Diamond League, how runners come to form in the last you know, four to eight weeks. It's, it's really cool. I'm actually grateful again for, and we've done this a few times, but for all the messages we get about the podcast, it's becoming a bit of an infinite loop loop because we said that we're grateful for it on the podcast and then people message us more and then we're grateful for the messages and then people message us more but I don't want that loop to end because uh, it's, it's really nice and um, we do keep bringing it up because your feedback is super important to us and we really do like seeing and our favorite thing is seeing specific examples of how the podcast has helped your training and racing and some people send us really nice messages about how they prepared for a specific race and what information they used um, and what helped them get more out of their race so we really we really do appreciate that. And on that note, Dad, it's a reminder of our unwritten rule that has got a lot of people messaging us more. And one message stood out last week. I just wanted to read it out. It, it said, I thought you like, might like to know that your podcast and coaching has led to my sister and brother-in-law getting into endurance sports and another friend reach out to learn more about triathlon. You're not only having an impact on me, but the people around me. So thank you. And I just liked hearing that, that um, yeah, we're, we're getting more people into you know, not just triathlon, but endurance sports and fitness in general. So Again, if you like our podcast and you're enjoying the free information we give out, um, we are loving everyone honoring the athletes agreement to share the podcast with anyone around you. And the best thing you can do is do a screenshot of an episode you like and post it to your social media. Yeah, I must say, George, when I when I see on our 
uh, Instagram stories. Uh, someone's posted uh, our last podcast. Um, it, yeah, it's it's fantastic to see people uh, reposting and and spreading the good news so that more people can get some valuable tips uh, if they can't afford coaching um, and they can absolutely go and uh, race uh, with some really good advice. So yeah, keep doing it. So, monster topic today. Let's get into the topic of polarized versus pyramidal training. And I just want to just set some clear definitions from the get-go um, about what this is. And you can get into the science of, of what it is. And we explained it a little bit in the intro. But basically, if you wanted to use real layman's terms, um, it's basically just how do you differentiate between your easy training, your medium training, and your hard training. So, your easy training is the um, zone one and two stuff. Your medium training is your kind of sweet spot and threshold stuff uh, and your hard training is your VO2 max stuff. And this is just very general, but we're just trying to keep it as easy as possible. And a lot of people, when they're talking about the polarized or pyramidal, that they're, they're using the kind of three zone system, which is zone one is easy, everything up to that first lactate threshold. Zone two is anything between LT1 and LT2. So that um, right up to that, that FTP point, if you're on the bike or that, that second threshold is any threshold number and anything above threshold is VO2 max. We tend to, on this podcast, we use a, a five-zone model, a five- to six-zone model plus um, at Travelo, and that's a lot more popular along, among most coaching groups. So for the sake of ease, we're not a lot of the, the studies so use a three-zone model and talk about zone one, two, and three, um, but we're just going to stick to how we talk about it, which is a five-zone model because it makes more sense to a lot of people. So zone one being kind of recovery, zone two um, is that zone two training everyone knows, which is really that fitness level training, but it's still below that first lactate threshold point. Zone three and four is in between the two lactate thresholds. That's that sweep spot training at the very top end, you know, right below threshold or at threshold, um, right at that number. And then anything above, you know, is that zone five, six plus where it's really high intensity. The lactic acid is accumulating at a high rate and you won't be able to hold that for long. And there's those, those, are those efforts that are 30 seconds to three or four minutes, you know, that's super high intensity. So does that cover it, Dad? Yeah, without confusing um, the listener, we, we just want to keep it as simple as possible and and be understanding that at Trivello, we're going to be talking in this podcast about five zones principally and the majority of other coaches around the world may be also using a three-zone system. So so we're not going to complicate it any more than that. Um, there are you know, different versions of how to use the zonal system. So, so we're using this model and that's what we're going to stick with throughout this podcast. Regardless of what one you use, I did mention that, you know, you can really just put it as easy training, medium training or, or hard training. Um, and the polarized approach is you're either doing lots of easy and, you know, combined with a bit of hard work. Uh, and the pyramidal approach is um, you do a fair bit of easy and then decent chunk of medium and then little to no hard um, and it's called a pyramid because if you stack it on top of each other it would look like a pyramid so there are two different types of training that you can do and we're going to go through kind of um, yeah what they mean and what you might need to do for your um, goals and your level as an athlete and uh, we actually had the um, the man who is popular for making the term polarized um, uh, popular in itself and that was Dr. Stephen Silo on our podcast and he had a lot of um, qual uh, answers to questions that we had that really clarified um, some things because you know, we've looked at this a lot and we had some questions directly to him who's the best source of information on it uh, possible uh, where he really clarified some things for us which we really enjoyed so if you want to check out that conversation it was a really really good extensive conversation but one of my favorite things from our discussion with him was um, when you're 
when you're talking about, you know, is it polarized or pyramidal? Um, what are you actually counting as what's easy and what's hard? Because um, we know that you might do an easy session and if it could only really be counted as easy if the entire session is spent, you know, in a low heart rate, in a low power zone below that first lactate threshold. But if you're doing a little bit of mixed stuff in there, um, you know, let's, even if you do a high intensity session, you know, a high intensity session might be an hour. You might do 20 minutes of a warm up, 20 minutes of interval work, and then a 20 minute cool down. You know, that 20 minutes of interval work makes the session a high intensity session because it's so hard and you'll get to the end exhausted. But really, you've spent 40 minutes of that in easy zone. So, majority of the session was easy. Couldn't you then count that as an easy session because majority of it was easy, even though it's hard? And so, he really understood that point. He said, Yeah, I get it. And he said, And that is the problem with you know, trying to define things like this and keep things in boxes. Um, because I said then, you know, we asked him, um, so you're counting the total sessions per week, whether they're easy or hard. It's the, is it the total minutes spent of easy and hard work? Is it the amount of minutes spent um, in a certain power zone? Or is it a minute spent of your heart rate zone? Um, and he had a, a really interesting point on this as well, because he said, uh, if you do an interval session, um, let's say you're doing one minute on 30 seconds off, uh, he said, your power zone might be VO2 max. You know, those one minute efforts are VO2 max. You know, you're pushing 300 plus watts, really maxing out. And then 30 seconds, you're going really easy. But your heart rate, because it's so up and down over under, your heart rate doesn't quite get to that VO2 max zone. It stays in that threshold zone because it's so up and down. Um, and you're not doing a long enough effort to get the heart rate really high. So he said, how would you count that session? Is that a VO2 session or is that a threshold session? I just thought that was such a fantastic point because it kind of is the first thing we want to talk about here. And that is that, we can get so caught up in these definitions that we start to lose focus of what's actually important in training. And also you could go on with that exact same session, the over-under one you're talking about, because you would say the main set could have, say you did three by eight minutes of over-under with, with a couple of minutes off in between, that adds up to 24 minutes. But in actual fact, if you just did 30 on 15 off or 60 on 30 off, you would only end up with about nine minutes out of the 24 at, at that true vo2 level Mm -hmm. so once again in an in a session where it might take you an hour and 10 minutes to do the warm-up to do the the ramp test to do the 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 hard efforts and then do the main set then do the recovery you could have actually labeled that as a high intensity vo2 set and guess what you spent 11 minutes out of the hour and 10 in that state and and i think you know the opposite can happen when someone does easy and for some reason, they come to a hill where they, you know, their goal is to stay in zone one or two, and and all of a sudden they ride this hill, and there's fifteen of those hills spread out over an hour and a half. You know, the overall average power will tell you the athlete and the coach that that was at point six or point five five. Tick the box, you've done it well. But in actual fact, you've done fifteen times. You know zone six in those in that session so so does that get lost as well um mm-hmm. so you've got it both ways happening where you know some sessions you 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 can have a mixture and it's and it's intentional sometimes that you want it to be like that but if you're truly wanting to do recovery you're truly wanting to do zone two you're truly wanting to do sweet spot or high intensity you know it's very difficult to identify what percentage in every one of those sessions especially as you get to a higher intensity session, because the whole session can't be an hour and 10 of high intensity, you know, unless it's actually a race where mm-hmm. you are racing at threshold in a, you know, a 10K run or a, or a one-hour crit or, or a 30K time trial, something like that. 
um, and that can truly be, you know, that's your that's your high intensity session. But for every other one, it is really grey and really muddy. And and I think I think right from the outset, we want to keep in mind that that these these definitions almost these categories these phrases we're using to try to categorize training can be fraught with danger because you could think that you're doing a polarized program or a pyramidal program or a sweet spot program or a trivello program for that matter but <laughs> it has it has it has a mixture all the time and if you if you were so uh, analytical that you could work out in an entire week in every session you did what percentage you ended up riding at high intensity, what percentage you ended up riding at tempo and what percentage you ended up riding in zone one, you would probably come to the same conclusion with all four of those types of training. And that's kind of what we're saying. Yeah, we kind of wanted to come out and burst the bubble straight away a little bit and just and just clarify that and go, yeah, it is, it is confusing because it depends how you define things and define sessions. But um, he then, you know, in our conversation, he went on to make just such a brilliant point. And he said, in the 25 years since he kind of coined that term polarized, and he laughs when, when people say that to him, but he kind of said, I now just kind of, um, I now define it as easy or hard training. He's like, I've tried, I've simplified it even more. And he goes, the easy training is, a, it is just an easy session where you could back it up the next day. You know, it's not going to take you more than 24 hours to recover. And he said a hard session, whether it's sweet spot, whether it's that threshold, you know, zone three or four, whether it's VO2 max, regardless of how you define it, it's going to take you more than 24 hours to recover. You need more recovery between it. And I just thought that was brilliant. And so then the discussion becomes, okay, if we're talking about polarized or pyramidal, we're kind of just talking about you've got your bulk of easy sessions, which everyone should be doing, and then how are you how are you then um, breaking up your sessions between zone three and four sweet spot stuff and your, your VO2 max stuff. And that's kind of what we want to get into and, and potentially some examples of you know different um, athletes and and specifically um, coaching models we know that athletes around the world do. And the Norwegians are, um, are examples of people that do really use that pyramidal approach, really do a lot of volume of that, that zone three, four work. Yeah, and it, there's examples as well of athletes who who would find if they're not very uh, endurance fit, they would find a zone two ride in our method where you're at you know up to seventy five percent of your FTP. They would find that a hard session, <laughs> not hard intensity wise, but hard on their legs if they're on a bike. Um, if I'm asking you to go for a, a sixty minute run and stay in zone two. You're not huffing and puffing, but you are still very tired from that session, even though it's supposedly a zone two session. Yep. And, you know, that's an example of identifying who your athlete is, what their fitness level is currently at, what they can cope with, and then giving them sessions that are appropriate to that person. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, I guess um, this comes down to a pretty key question that I would ask you is that if an athlete comes to you and says, you know, what what approach are you going to give me, polarized or pyramidal, you know, how would you answer that? Because it's, I know that the, the travel other method that you mentioned before, it's just not a priority. No, and and I would just say the focus you need to be worrying about is how am I going to get through the training program? And let's just not categorize categorize what we're doing with you. We are aiming, number one, and you can call this whatever you like, call this the Trivello method. We are aiming first and foremost to understand what your event is that you're training for and what the requirements of that event are. And here are the sessions we think are going to give you the best opportunity to perform at the level that you're expecting to do on race day. 
and and we've got to find out who you are and what experience you've had. That's the first thing we're trying to do. Um, are you fit enough to jump into two high intensity sessions a week plus an endurance session? Um, or are you only capable of coping with one high intensity session and and your endurance might be, you know, if you're a runner, your endurance might be a 20 minute run because you've basically done no running. Or if you're a bike rider and you haven't ridden over 60 minutes, that's your endurance ride for the week. So we're really asking a lot of more specific questions and we would try and steer the athlete away from this um, almost like, where do I fit into, <laughs> into the training program? Well, you fit into the program where your level is and what your experience is. And, and we get people from beginner to, to top of the you know, elite um, professional level. So, so we're not going to treat the people who are at the top level in their sport who are maybe aspiring for an Olympic selection like we talked about earlier the same way as we're going to uh, get someone who's a beginner. And, and anybody in between, um, we're really trying to learn where their level is already and what their experience is. And someone who's done 15 years of running and riding compared to some, someone who's done 15 weeks, you know, they, they're not going to be able to cope with the, the pyramidal or the, uh, the polarized or the sweet spot. They're going to need attention according to what level they're at. And, and that's my answer is forget all these airy-fairy categories. <laughs> um, you know, they're great uh, and they're good, good for summary um, to, you know, if you're specifically saying, I want polarized where I'm doing no gray zone, zone two. I'm just riding uh, hard sessions and easy sessions like you explained, you know. Okay, let's call, call that polarized. And that's great because everybody knows what you're talking about. But I guarantee there is no one doing it exactly like that. Um, yeah. there, will be, there will be versions of that. And, yeah. and, you know, you're not trying to do that either. You're not trying to, oh, no, I can't, I can't stray into the sweet spot program. <laughs> you know, we've found, and I talk to you about this off air was you know i love all these um scientific lab testing that they've been doing without that we don't have a lot of uh information or data but i can guarantee you over the years of coaching we have so much data that tells us um, a particular style of training will help a triathlete who's training for an olympic distance a particular style of training will help an athlete training for an ironman and they're not the same they've got different nuances in it even though they're both triathletes um, and that's no different to what a 5K runner would be expecting to do as a marathon runner. Yeah. They would have some variation um, in that. So we we are not keen on categorizing people into this is this is the area that you are going to train strictly under. Um, we want to use all of the options to us and all of the ranges of uh, of zones that are available for, for us to use in your program. And it all comes back down to who you are and what your level currently is. Yeah, the, the example you gave before about the, the person who struggles with a zone two endurance ride because they're very untrained and they just find that super fatiguing just exemplifies exactly what you're just talking about. You know, it's for them, the focus is on consistency and frequency of training and they just need to get better at being able to back up, you know, consistent zone two endurance sessions um, before they can even worry about intensity distribution and whether they should be doing polarized or pyramidal. Whereas um, we do have a very top level athletes where we are looking very specifically about the amount of intensity they're doing. And we are really looking into quite minute detail about how much um, sweet spot work are we fitting in? How much zone three to four work are we fitting in to the interval length? You know, and that we are happy to go down that path for the specific athlete that it suits. You know, we are looking at um, how much VO2 work are they getting into their week, into their training block. 
Um, that's the level that we're looking into to get the absolute most out of that athlete. But that is a very specific athlete who is very highly trained, who is training like a professional athlete, who is doing monster hours where every hour is really counting here. But for majority of athletes, it's just not the case. But also, George, it's, what you've said is um, so true, but there's another extension to that is, you know, at the pointy end uh, that we're talking about just right now, as the example, um, an elite athlete, what is their weakness? And we want to really improve that, you know. It's great to give them, you know, the standard VO2 stuff, they, you know, that's going to help them run faster. But if they haven't got the base to run faster, we can't give them those VO2 intervals. We, you know, we need to work on more strength and conditioning in their legs before we can actually throw this very elite runner who's really struggling. That's his weak, weak, weak leg of his triathlon as an example. And I'm just picking this as an example to, to say we just can't say, okay, if you're at this level as an elite, you do this swim, this ride, and this run. And that's what all those guys do. That's not mm-hmm. actually what happens as well. Um, we look at, you know, is your weakness in the pool, uh, in the in the open swim? Is your weakness on the bike? Is your weakness your backing up after run off, off the bike? And so so trying to find out where their weakness is first and obviously keep training their strengths because um, that's why they're elite in the first place. Yeah. But we're trying to find the small percentage gains to actually make their, their weakness no longer a weakness. And, and so once again, you're actually, you know, um, skinning it back, stripping it back um, to find out what suit what is suitable for this particular athlete. Yeah. So you mentioned um, a bit of the science before, and you see a lot of studies trying to measure the the two training models with mixed results. And um, a lot of the studies I've seen, you know, the, the the outcome and conclusion of the study is just so dependent on what they're actually choosing to measure. And I think I think this gets a little bit lost in the conversation because sometimes they end up measuring results based on peak power output and they they might do that via a ramp test or they might do that by a 10 minute power test or a 20 minute power test and um what ends up happening is i saw a couple of i've seen a couple of examples where um, a polarized approach so a lot more high intensity work resulted in a greater improvement in the pyramidal approach but that just seems obvious because they did more high intensity work and so their peak power numbers are going to most likely improve more and um for a triathlete that's not necessarily that helpful because yeah, it's obviously great to improve your VO2 max fitness, improve your VO2 max, uh, get those peak power numbers up. But if you just did that um, and improved your 10 or 20 minute power, that is not going to help you in a race. It's not going to help you in a half Ironman or Ironman. It'll help you for the first 20 minutes for sure. It'll help your overall fitness. But it's really just a stepping stone to um, towards getting needing to practice your race intensity. And that comes from race-ready sessions, which is by definition zone three or four, which is technically pyramidal training. So again, it's, it's this big mixed pot of things. Yeah, the the lab the lab scientific um, experiments that are going on, and they're really trying to pinpoint differences. But unfortunately, some of the weaknesses of them are the the testing period is too short. Um, it could be four to six weeks. Um, the sample of athlete um, is uh, too specific sometimes, um, and uh, the the actual uh, models that, it, that they're using are, are directed to getting a certain outcome. Um, and in that example you gave, you know, by comparing polarized with pyramidal and, and in that particular one you were talking about, which I read as well, there was no high intensity in, in that, in that pyramidal, um, session, uh, training Solid. block. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how would you expect to get any other outcome, um, except the other, method will, will is superior 
Well, yeah. it is when you do it like that, and that's not how we would train people. So, so I look at some of these tests and go, well, that's a predictable outcome. You don't even have to do that sample test because we, I, could, I could tell you that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, why don't you do some testing where you're you're giving people a mixture more of um, of exactly what's going to happen in a real program um, and do it for longer. And that is hard to do because there are not enough um, people willing to, yeah. <laughs> to, to give up six yeah. months to be an experiment. And, yeah. and so I get, I get that, you know, we need these tests to, to give us information. There's no doubt about it, but, but I'm just saying we have to take, take it as a full face value. And there are some um, um, weaknesses in the testing that are not giving the true outcome. Um, and they're, they're a lot of the time uh, they're looking for a result and by manipulating the test that way, they're going to get that result. And, and I would like to see a, a little bit different, you know, method of, um, of getting outcomes that are, you know, not really predictable. And, and you can't do that without actually doing the samples for a lot longer period of time. Um, and there's so many things that go into getting the outcomes and, you know, in a four to six week period, and I'm not saying every test is four to six weeks. Uh, I'm being very general here, but the point I'm trying to make is, you know, don't pin all, all of your um, um, outcomes and information gathering from every single test that you see, um, because you, or you would be jumping, oh, let's do this now. Oh, now that this seems a little bit better. Let's do that. And, and that's not how athletes, you know, people that's not how people function um by just you know chopping and changing from from one method to another um, the bottom line in all the things we're trying to get across here is if you stay consistent you will start to improve and whether you're using pyramidal or polarized or sweet spot you will continue to improve with all three methods and all the scientific research tells us that but consistency is the one thing that everybody agrees on. If you can maintain <laughs> consistency, then your, your performance will gradually get better. It may take three months. It may take three years. It may take 13 years. But if you just stay at it, you will actually get better regardless of what program you're using. But, but the, the, the athlete out there wants to know which one is better, which one is quicker, which one is faster. And my answer to that is, you know, everything takes time. and and everything's relatable to how uh, fit you are in the first place and what, you, what you've been doing over a period of time. And the more you've been training yourself consistently, um, when you start to really hone in on some specific training like we talked about um, for each athlete, your results will start to really improve um, really quickly. Once you've got that, that load into your body from consistent training over a long period, all of a sudden, and we've said it many times in, in year two or three, athletes start to really jump up a level yeah i would never want what you're saying to be misconstrued um because we just spend all of our time coaching other coaching athletes or researching better ways to coach our athletes <laughs> that is just what we do basically all week and so you're always looking um at the latest research the latest information out there watching the best interviews from sports scientists around the world and the, I think the strength of Trivello, and this is where it could sound a little arrogant, but the strength of what we do is then apply it to real world examples. And we've been able to do that with coaching hundreds and hundreds of athletes and seeing how different athletes respond in different circumstances. And every athlete has such a varying array of factors that are applying to them. And as you always say, it's never one thing. And I do want to quote one specific study 
that they did on half Ironman athletes. And if you just, I think what you're saying is you just be really careful of the supposed conclusions from these tests. Um, because this quote was, uh, in this study of half Ironman athletes who did polarized or pyramidal, there were no significant differences observed between the polarized and pyramidal competition times. In fact, only two seconds differentiated both groups in a race that lasted over five hours. And that was two seconds median differentiation. Um, if you just took that conclusion, you go, oh, both 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 approaches work. Um, doesn't really affect overall competition time, and that is just a horrific kind of conclusion outcome to to um, stick to because there's so many very varying factors in there, and it becomes so hard to test race outcomes because, as we know, so much goes into what can dictate a race. So many varying factors can literally create two minutes to ten minutes to fifteen minutes difference in a race. You know, we know that. Yeah, it, the biggest thing, and we talk about this a lot, is execution. How did you actually execute the race? Because you two athletes go in with the exact same training model and have wildly different outcomes based on how they execute. They could go in with the exact same fitness level and have wildly different outcomes based on how they execute the race. They could go in um, with the exact same volume of preparation, the exact same training sessions, the exact same VO2 max. Um, it, they could be twins with identical genetics, <laughs> but they could still execute differently and that would create a different result. So... Um, the, the test did go on to say, and we'll give them credit, they said, um, there are more determinants than training intensity distribution in the final result of a long-distance triathlon race. And I'm really glad they said that because that is just so, so, so crucial because you just cannot not ignore the most important part of racing, which is execution, but all the varying factors. And sometimes, you know, readers of research papers will pick out the sentence before that and, and not add the next sentence, which mm. is there are variations and variables mm -hmm. that, like you just mentioned. Um, and so they'll be saying, well, you know, there's no difference between polarized and pyramidal. This is a study that shows it. And that's what I'm trying to say. Um, the study's great. It's excellent. There's nothing negative about it, but, but it's not accurately an, uh, something that you can just take and say forever that doesn't matter what type of training we give you. Um, there's very little difference. And and we beg to differ, you know, each athlete needs different uh, requirements. And, and as you said, you know, you could turn up uh, having had sickness, you know, and you couldn't perform the way you wanted to, um, you know, you, who knows if anybody had a mechanical um, and how, how well did they measure their effort across the day, which is more important. Did they have a poor sleep? Uh, did they stuff up their nutrition on the day? And that could have a, a completely different outcome to the results. You know, we're, we're expecting the study to have all of these things exactly <laughs> the same. And, yeah. and uh, you know, human nature says that that's just not possible. Yeah. Um, so there's so many variables that can happen to you compared to me, even though we did the same program, we did the same preparation. Um, we, you know, we both executed the same way, but because you didn't eat well or sleep well um, the previous three nights, you performed poorly and I didn't. Yet we had the same program. And that's an explanation, you know. Um, it's not to do with the, the program. It's to do with something other than the program. Exactly, yeah. So we spent a lot of time talking about how um, we don't want you to get caught up in these definitions and and um, and get caught up and one is better than the other. But we do want to talk about it from a coaching application point of view, what could apply to you and when. And so we mentioned before that the Norwegians um, do a lot of the pyramidal approach where they do a lot of training between LT1 and LT2. And the purpose for that, and Ingebrigtsen's are a great example of this, the Ingebrigtsen family really adopted this, is they realized that they could get massive amounts of work in their training week, massive amounts of volume if they just stuck really strictly between LT1 and LT2. So that's zone three and four. And if they did that and they measured it using lactate, they can just do monster 
a.m. and p.m. sessions doing that. It means they can get more in their week and they're getting more out of the week and they're able to recover. You, know, you just can't do monster VO2 sessions over and over again. You'll just break down. Um, but um, at the same time, Fingerprints still do high-intensity work. They still do VO2 max work. They're not just eliminating it completely. They, and they race a lot. You know, They do a lot of race-ready specific um, periods. And so it's just a, that's an example of one approach um, working really well in that context. Yeah, and if you also look at um, the Norwegian triathletes, they're doing exactly the same. They're they're having some really high intensity training sessions, but the majority of their training is between LT one and LT two, um, which is the grey zone in the three zone system that people uh, the research papers tell us to stay out of. And so we've got this evidence from real time athletes who are you know Olympians and and gold medalists, world champions, who are using a lot of their training in that zone that's the grey area and getting incredible results. And and it's not a six-week uh, research paper. It's, you know, the Norwegians have been doing this for, you know, they started when they were 12, 14. They've been doing it for 10 years. So so that's what I was saying before. It, you know, where, where do you start? What level are you at? And how long is it going to take you to get to your peak performance um, as an athlete? And, and you know, I, I really want to emphasize that there isn't one that's right. It, it's a combination of all of the training uh, that you that you think is appropriate for that athlete. Um, do they need more endurance? Are they just not fit enough aerobically before they can start to do high intensity? Or are they already endurance monsters and they just need some VO2 to lift their, their engine? Um, you know, this is what you're trying to work out with every athlete that, that comes across our desk. And and so, you know, we're trying to bring a combination of all sessions, uh, depending on the stage of the year, what the event is, how far away the event is. Um, and, you know, that's why we're always talking about people coming to us. Don't come to us for an Ironman with eight weeks to go. It, it just gives you less opportunity to, to actually do a program that's appropriate, you know, and, and, and we have, don't often say that. We just say, don't come to us with eight weeks to go, to go but we're not actually given the reason why. We, the reason is because we want to actually get you prepared in enough time without loading your body so much that you get to the race exhausted on race day rather than getting to the race trained well and uh, tapered and your form is high and your fatigue is low. That's what it's all about. And that's part of this discussion on what what type of program should you be under. Um, the, the type of program that we keep saying you should be under is one that's appropriate to you that has a combination of all the zones um, that is, you know, and where your current level of fitness is and your experience. And, and once you can sort that, those questions out, then you can really throw a really good program at people for 20 weeks or for two years, or for, in some cases, you know, we've been coaching people for seven or eight years now. Um, and you know, it, it, it's almost like it, all we've got to do is keep fine tuning the people who've been there for a long time, just keep fine tuning what they what we know works well for them. And, and the example one of our coaches has been doing the Norwegian method, morning and afternoon, LT1, LT2, um, Nick. And that is the best he's performed, you know, in all the years of his training since he was mid-20s and he's now in his 30s. Um, you know, he has never been as fit as he is now. And that isn't a great example of someone who can cope with the load and still do those high-intensity sessions, do lots of racing. He's got great endurance and, and getting him in that, gray zone the zone between lt1 and lt2 has has just made him a, a such a better rider than he's ever been 
And yeah, you, to your point always, um, you would never want someone to listen to what you just said and then say that the LT1, LT2 is what, uh, yeah, going between that and training between that is what made the difference because um, it is probably the overall theme of this episode. Um, it's never one thing. And um, Nick would attest um, more than anyone that uh, the combination of all the good work he was doing, um, really good strength with the gym, really focused on recovery. Um, it just uh, I could list an infinite number of things that he was doing because he's, he's one of the best athletes at doing um, everything properly um, combined for this. And like you said, the fine, I like the word, the fine tuning, because it was a different stimulus that he hadn't done. And that was kind of what we were looking for in his training program is, is something slightly different to what he was used to, um, to get a, a good response from his training. I just think there's so many examples of, um, of athletes who improve at beginner, intermediate and elite level by just having different stimulus um, put into their training program. And that's, I'm just saying that's one example. Um, and it wasn't just that that caused Nick to improve. It was that on top of the other stuff that he's doing so well. Um, you know, we just added that extra layer um, and that really worked for him. And that's not to say it's going to work for anybody else. Yeah. Um, it, it, we found that it really brought him up and and that was the missing link. And he, he was training a lot in that that hard, you know, endurance type when he first came to us. He, he was very fit endurance-wise, but he hadn't done a lot of high-intensity stuff. And so that's what we've started off with him. And now we can spend a little bit more time in that, in that LT1, LT2 zone um, where he can do monster efforts, you know, week in, week out. Um, double sessions and and it's really brought him up but we're still doing the, the key stuff the recovery we're still doing the the endurance easy riding and he's he's very strict on that he doesn't go above where he should be and that's where people are making mistakes you know they're getting such good feedback from the improvement or well, maybe if i just do the zone two a bit harder well, mm -hmm. well that's actually not what's helping um yeah. th that's why he's doing well because his coffee ride is literally you know, just rolling his legs over to the coffee shop, coffee shop, sitting there and have a coffee and then rolling back home. And then his zone two is just not going above the heart rate that he's meant to or the power. Um, and, and therefore, he can ride the other sessions uh, uh, fresh and then he can race really well because he's done each session in the right zone. And the key component is he's just been super consistent. Um, but he was consistent before in, in uh, his diligence to training, but now he's consistent with the right stuff rather than layers of the same stuff. Yeah, and for more specific coaching examples, I would say that um, majority of endurance athletes that come to us um, are really quite fit endurance-wise. And as long as they're decently trained and they're not in that beginner category where they're quite untrained and um, and haven't had much of a base, um, we, we do get a lot of yeah decently trained uh, endurance athletes who um, can do zone two for a long time and can do backup zone two sessions and so for them an easy prescription is more of a polarized model is and we would never say to them we're going to give you polarized but this is kind of what it ends up being if you want to define it is um, a lot more high intensity training because they don't do enough structured high intensity training and that ends up being a really quick win for a lot of athletes because they start to get some a change in stimulus they start to get a pretty quick VO2 improvement, um, a, a bit of top end improvement. Um, and that results in very quick, you know, testing improvement as well, because we will do a 20 minute FTP test. And that's just a great way to get the ball rolling and start with a new athlete to start with that. And we'll find that most athletes um, who do this um, 
kind of training program to start with, they'll follow a model where it'll start off a lot more polarized, but then as they get closer and closer to their goal race over that six-month period that you mentioned, um, it will become more quote-unquote pyramidal because they start doing more race-ready zone three and four specific stuff because they need to do that those longer efforts to get ready for their race. Good summary. And and that's kind of where we started with the podcast was we don't want to categorize, but we are, we are using a combination of, of whatever we think is going to get the best outcome and, and a little bit of everything we've found for most athletes, whether they're beginner, intermediate or, or elite, is that finding out that, you know, they are lacking in this area, that, let's push that first. And, and then we can, you know, get more specific to what the race requirements of their event is. And, and that crosses across different models. And, and we, don't, we don't apologize for that because, because that's using all the information to the best of our advantage. And, and so I think our summary is always going to be there isn't one perfect model. It's, it's like we say, it's never one thing that's caused you to be um, a better athlete than you were, or it's never one thing that's caused you to perform, perform poorly. It could be a combination of lack of sleep, lack of nutrition, anxiety at work, or stress about your actual training performances. All those things contribute to a negative outlook. And the same as when you are starting to go really well and your form's booming, you know, you're probably sleeping well, you've got less stress in your life, um, your work and your family's all all in line. Um, every, everybody's happy around you, um, and you're training the house down, and you're not injured, and you've been consistent. They're all things that are that are going to contribute to to you getting the best outcome. And and you know, every podcast we talk about, we, we're actually trying to to give information about how you can be a better athlete when it counts on race day. And so discussing whether you use this method of training or that method of training is really important because. You, we want the message to be across that it's not just one method. It's It's got to be a combination of all of the things that we've talked about so far. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And the last point I want to kind of make is um, I mentioned beginners there because these examples that we're talking about more apply to at least someone somewhat decently trained that's coming into the conversation. If you're not at that level and if you're in the beginner category, a lot of this conversation just does not even apply to you or matter. We're not even close to looking at intensity distribution for you, it's about the consistency of training, getting used to training frequently. Just, just if you were just to do six easy sessions in a week, or five or four easy sessions, that might might be a monster jump for you for, for what you're used to. And so, intensity just isn't um, that important. So it's really getting your frequency and volume of training up more consistently. But I think a really important point you want to make is that um, every program should have some sort of intensity, even if you're a beginner. It's just the level you're at depends on how much volume of intensity is in there. Yeah, and we've got to be very careful. And if we are talking about the entry-level athlete, whether it's a runner, or and you know there is a huge running boom going on at the moment. So we've got lots of people who literally can't run more than 15 minutes consistently without stopping. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that's actually a fact. Um, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's mm-hmm. actually the, the running the running boom has caused people to really say, oh, maybe I'll have a go at this. And when they go to run, they actually can't run consi- you know, consistently without stopping. And so, you know, that's where you need to just do that every second day so that eventually you can actually run 10 minutes without stopping, 15 minutes without stopping, 20 minutes without stopping. And that's the very basic level. And so why would we be thinking about giving you some hard running? We would not even think about that. Our goal is just to give you that load that your body can cope with that's really getting you used to just running every second day. And, you know, that's the that's the idea that you're talking about where, you know, the 
the the runner is quite different to the triathlete whereas as a triathlete beginner we're still trying to give them that basic running uh, load uh, experience but we can actually give them some intensity on the bike where the risk is less and and as long as we've tested that athlete we're going to give them high intensity at their current level so it's not like we're giving them something that's unachievable we're giving it to them because that's where they've tested and so they would find that you know and an example would be on the bike if someone's you know ftp is 150 and, and in four years time if we were able to uh, look ahead in a crystal ball they ended up with an ftp of 300 they've doubled it in four years so 150 would feel very hard to ride high intensity session uh, when we give them that during the week it would be the same feeling of hard if they're training four years down the track at 300 it's the same feeling except the numbers just doubled so the experience you're you're getting is that this is hard um, but the number is just moving up as you as your body can uh, you know, adapt to the load that's being, the stimulus that's been thrown at you. So even if you're a beginner athlete, as a swimmer and as a, as a, a rider, we would definitely be giving you intensity, um, maybe not frequently giving you intensity, but giving it to you um, enough so you're going to get the stimulus to improve. But it's at your level, at your mm-hmm. testing level. Mm-hmm. And the reason we don't do it as a runner is because, the majority of people cannot cope with running fast if they haven't had any experience. They will get injured straight away. Um, yeah. And it's not even worth a discussion, you know. Just just do, take your medicine, start with walk running, and then you will, you you know, in, in six weeks' time, you'll look back at your 30 seconds on, two minutes off. Oops, I think the internet dropped out there, George, so I'm not sure what ended up getting <laughs> getting heard. But in summary... We absolutely want to make sure that that at some point every athlete that we coach has some form of intensity, whether they're elite, intermediate, or beginner, in their program, and and it has to be at their level. And that's why you know in all the other podcasts we talk about testing, and that allows us to actually get an entry level athlete, whether you're a swimmer, bike rider, or triathlete, or a runner, um, to be training at the appropriate level for you. Yep, and I think um, I'd just like to finish the episode by summarizing our conversation points and a lot of conversation points um, from Dr. Stephen Siler. I think some of his key points here really just summarize what we're talking about with intensity distribution. And I'm just going to summarize these points. And if you have anything you want to add to just just butt in and, and, and cut me off. But um, I think that one of the key points we mentioned was that all this time later, he really just believes in separating it from a low stress zone to a high stress zone. And so you just spend most of your time in a low stress zone, 80%, and then the last 20% in a high stress zone, whether that's zone three or four or five or six. Um, Especially if you're an older athlete, George, I just think that is so crucial to, to people who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s who still want to keep a high level of fitness, I just think you can't cope with as much intensity and I think uh, you keep that aerobic fitness going and you'll be better off. Yeah. Um, One of his main points is that when they study elite athletes and what makes them successful is they train a lot and there's no way to bypass the volume of work that you need to do. And the more volume of work you can do at easy, which is what the elite athletes do a lot of, um, the better you're going to be and that's just as simple as it is. Um, No, I can't agree more and look, the difference between an age grouper and an elite athlete is, you know, 30 hours a week compared to possibly six to 10, as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Uh, 
the best training plan is a sustainable training plan. So just remember when you're thinking about all these models and rules and what kind of approach you're taking, uh, the most effective one is the one you're going to be able to do consistently. Make sure you put your ego aside. If it's an easy day, go easy. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if it was you saying this or Dr. Stephen Silas saying this, but <laughs> it's just put your ego aside for easy days. Um, uh, a cool point he did say is that data shows that polarized training is effective starting at six to seven hours a week. So even if you've got less time to train at that level, still doing mostly easy with bits of hard is going to be effective. If it's anything less than that, then you can just start thinking about potentially just training hard every time. We've spoken about that. If you've got four hours, you could probably just do four hours of hard training because you're going to have enough recovery between. Um, but the most common problem with average age groupers is they train too hard or they overtrain. Um, and so if you're overtraining, then you need to rest more and do a lot more um, easy distributed training. Um, the last couple of things is uh, to summarize the low stress versus high stress. Uh, low stress workouts, you'll be able to recover within 24 hours. High stress workouts, the recovery takes longer. Um, and just understand that the period of training, we've spoken about this, but the period of training um, that you're in will determine your um, what kind of intensity you want. So um, early in the season, you could potentially do a lot more high intensity VO2 max work. This is for endurance athletes um, working more towards um, race pace intervals as you get close to your race. But someone like a, who's training for a 5K or even less um, would potentially do the opposite. You know, they might do more base work, base work and as they get closer to that, do more speed work. So that just wanted to put those points in there because it's a, I think he's been the person who really coined the term and, and he's probably the go-to source in it. I really liked his summary points. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? And there's not a lot you can add. They are self-explanatory. Um, and at the end of the day, as long as you're um, getting a load and getting uh, consistency, uh, then you will start to see progress. And I think keeping it as simple as possible, even though we spent an hour uh, talking about a very complex topic, um, you know, we are just saying there are periods when you need to train easy, but you need to do a, a lot of training uh, to get the value out of it. Um and that doesn't mean, you know, you're just basically not even getting your heart rate to a point where it's getting a stimulus. You know, easy training can be right up to zone two um, or 75% of your FTP if we forget about using zones. But but at the end of the day, we have to have something, you know, at, at FTP or above uh, in that in that model. So so easy and hard training, that they're the two things that are going to give you your best bang for your buck as long as you're consistent and as, you, as long as you're willing to, to turn up each day, then you will start to see progress. Perfect way to summarize it. This has been another pretty big episode from us. We really hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you on the next one. 